This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Our guest today is Ronnie Einaf, uh, one of Israel's most successful software entrepreneurs. In 1983, he founded the Fourth Dimension Software, later renamed New Dimension Software, and he served as its CEO and chairman until it was sold in 1999 to Texas-based BMC Software for $675 million. Einaf is also the co-author with Miriam Rahel Wax of the memoir Nardo to Nasdaq, The Evolution of an Israeli High-Tech Startup, which describes his entrepreneurial journey. Ronnie Anav, thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, thank you. Uh, your book is titled Nardo to Nasdaq. What does the title mean? Actually, as the title has a few meanings, starting from the physical meaning that uh, I was uh, living for many years in a place in Tel Aviv by the name of Nordo Boulois, and the destination was a global uh, target like uh, Wall Street uh, or, or Nasdaq. There is also a definition with a kind of a flavor of, of a socialistic flavor, because Nordo was next to Herzl in the Zionist uh, movement, and all the movement was pretty socialistic, socialistic. And then we came to the climax of the capitalism. So it's also, and Miriam, my co-author, thought that it should be mysterious a little. I don't know if it's contributed to the distribution or not, but uh, this was also another phase of the selection. That's, thank you. That's very interesting. Now you, you, you studied at Technion, which yes. is one of uh, Israel's uh, most prestigious technical universities. Yes. Uh, and, and then you also spent some time uh, with the Israeli Defense Forces. Of course. Uh, how did these experiences shape you as an entrepreneur? As a matter of fact, I think uh, I was lucky to be educated in the Technion, uh, which has ever since got a few Nobel Prizes. And, and uh, after being educated as an engineer, I served my country in the army, but I wasn't uh, an officer in the operations, in the military operations. I was an officer in the operation research in the system analysis of uh, ammunition or military systems. And from the age of 22, you get the chance to, to operate in big scheme and to, to, to fight for opinions with high officers. And even though they have their interests or their opinions, and they are maybe 40 years old or 45, and they're prestigious, they are very prestigious for whatever they've done in the army. You come with your own thinking, you don't afraid, you are not afraid to, to fight for your opinion, uh, to be stubborn many times. You, you, you are not going to, to build uh, your military career, so you don't have any second or side uh, thinking. And so 
you, you take a, a problem after a, a month or three months or four months, you have to come with a document to, to, to fight for your opinion, to think what is the best for the Israel, to, for the Israeli army. So I think that uh, it's a kind of a, a, a complementary stage of the education. So when you are after that, four or five years later, uh, you are more experienced in the practical side of the, of the academia, not only in the academia itself. From there, how did you enter the world of business? Straight, straight. As a matter of fact, I, I never worked for anybody. That was one of the, the thoughts I have at home. And I started in, in computer business, but at that time it was more professional services business. And again, our clients was the Ministry of Defense, the Army, some of the Israeli uh, big ventures. There are not too many in Israel. If you are talking in America, maybe in Israel there are altogether five or ten uh, big organizations. That's it. So, so after a while, I admitted that if you want to play globally, you need to have with some technology property, software product, or something that can be sold uh, in other parts of the world. Well, one of the things I found really interesting is in relatively early in your career as an entrepreneur, uh, one of your first notable forays in business was in Iran, which was under the uh, under the reign of the Shah at the time. Could you tell us about that experience? Yes, this was uh, funny. At that time, the relations between Israel and Iran were very close. As a matter of fact, Israel and Iran and Turkey at the time were quite a power against the Arab world. And uh, the Shah, uh, although later on he was uh, attacked very much by the new regime, at the time he wanted to have a powerful powerful Iran and a good education system and so on and so forth. So he came to, to us as architects and engineers to help him to build the civilian part of the naval, of the Navy, the Iranian uh, Navy. And actually we built three new cities in Bandar Abbas, Bandar Boucher and Harag Island. Today, uh, this Bandar Boucher, for example, is known for the nuclear plant, and sometimes from Bandar Abbas, uh, Iranian boat is traveling to Damascus uh, or to, to other, uh, to Lebanon with, with uh, missiles. But at the time, we were engineers, and he, he was uh, thinking that people from Israel can, can do a professional job relatively fast, and you have to understand that the places I mentioned before, and you can look at them today in the internet, uh, are very, very remote and very, very, with very, uh, very hard climate uh, definition. It's like half year uh, horrible and half year uh, more horrible. Uh, it's uh, the distance between Tehran to, 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 to the south of the country is 1,000 kilometers and more. 
So, so it, was, it was interesting. After working with the Shah, we worked also with Pahlavi Foundation in Tehran, and we, we felt very, very good at the time. It's remarkable that uh, you, you would be responsible for the development of three cities. It's sort of uh, inconceivable. Yeah, you almost. can see them today easily. <laughs> That's right. Uh, the, the other uh, uh, episode from your early years that I found fascinating was that you write that following Israel's peace agreement with Egypt, uh, the Sinai evacuation contributed to the growth of your company, which you named yeah. INAV Systems. Yeah. Uh, how did that happen, and what was the impact on the company's growth? As a matter of fact, that was my first big contract in the, for, for the timetable and the budget of the evacuation. Uh, we had a team of 10 or 12 uh, people on a constant, on a constant uh, uh, contract. And, and as a matter of fact, the army at the time understood that in order to, to put in place a project of so many billions in, 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 a, in a good rate and in, a, in an effective way, you should use a lot of uh, civilian resources. So I was lucky to, to work for them, and maybe they were lucky to hire me because uh, the, 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 the job was uh, intelligent, uh, fascinating, but at the same time, it uh, consumed a lot of efforts and, and, and a lot of talent. And uh, uh, as a result of my success in the job, I got additional uh, contracts which were more related to computer uh, and, and software for, for the building department of the Air Force, for the building department of the, of the regular army in Israel. And that was a good starting point for me with good with big uh, civilian projects. That's a very logical step for us to go into how was Fourth Dimension software formed uh, and how did it grow out of ANAV systems? As a matter of fact, it was uh, owned 50% by, by somebody else that worked for, for ANAV systems. And it was... Uh, it was owned 50% by partners that were related to enough systems. This was a very typical way, a socialist way of constructing new business with no, no external funding, with very gray area of what we are going to do and how we are going to finance it. And as a matter of fact, you can see in the book, that we had uh, two instant uh, failures. It took us to fail two times, maybe 14 or 15 or 16 months. And actually, uh, after that, the third uh, opportunity uh, was the successful one. The source of the opportunity was amazingly the Israeli Air Force. They've got something that they used to schedule their, their life. But as a matter of fact, the youngsters that uh, did it, after one year or two years or three years, are on one end responsible for the routine daily life of the Israeli Air Force. The other day, they are leaving the, the army. So it's, 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 it is a software that is important but there is no documentation. 
nobody was uh, nobody built it as a package so there was a kind of, of improvisation the army and ourselves came to the conclusion that maybe we will take it for free and and make out of it something that can live for many years and uh, the the <clears throat> revenue for the army was that they will get it for free for the next trillion years and the revenue for us that we got an opportunity and as you started the, the interview the opportunity came and we did from scratch something very very big how did you overcome the initial challenges in in developing database software as 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 we started with the scheduling package we were naive enough to think that we we could make a better database as well so if you are young enough and ambitious enough you, don't, you are not afraid to fight uh, uh, IBM or computer associates and and smaller organizations maybe i can say and i know that i'm sitting in wharton school that uh, to, to be too much educated you maybe you are becoming too much disciplined and too much organized and it's good to be organized but also it's good to 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 dream a little and 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 to be naive a little and you know maybe if i wouldn't succeed you will not ask me questions like that but if you are successful uh, you have the chance to say that uh, you need to balance between your instincts and your education no, that's that's exactly right i mean intuition and imagination yeah play as big a role in entrepreneurship as as discipline and hard work i think i think so and, and as a matter of fact uh, we never we never dreamt that uh, the the fourth dimension software will have so many products uh, it will that it will be so profitable so your dream is uh, the range of your dream is one year maybe two years and the 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 dream is the dynamic one and 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 after one year you have a different dream and uh, you hope that uh, the 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 ratio of your uh, correct uh, decisions is 80 or 85% and you hope that the, the luck will help you you hope that competition will be slow and usually big organization like IBM and computer associates are, are, are slow so you hope that it will be uh, organized in a way that will be successful you spend a lot of time in your book uh, talking about the importance of human capital uh, and 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 one way of achieving your dreams is to attract and develop the best people uh, how can you explain how you did that in your company in in a way maybe at that time it was relatively easy because uh, in israel there were not so many stories like fourth dimension software all the stories about israel and the few thousand startups are, are a result of my story and story like that but at that time 
if you wanted to, to, to sell software abroad, maybe you have five or 10 or 15 uh, possibilities. So once we were started to, to succeed, and that's always the story, you have to start to be successful in order to attract the human capital, because you will never have a, a, self, a salesman that will work for you unless he will be sure that he's going with the right uh, technology. So it's all, all this story of success and capitalism is a little bit tricky story. You, you need to be successful in order to be successful. But uh, in our case, uh, we had the right friends in the army, in, in, with the new immigrants to Israel. So we found the right uh, people that will be working to us. And whenever our sales force went out and, and, and uh, promised commitments to, to AT&T or Credit Suisse, maybe some of them paid us only 50% of the deal on the day of the contract and 50% of the, of the, uh, the rest 50% when we delivered. But I don't remember any times that we didn't deliver. Maybe sometimes we were a little bit uh, delaying the, the, the product. But with this uh, kind of uh, talented people from Romania and South Africa and Australia and Israel, we could uh, solve anything that was related to the technology we were committed to. What was Control-M? Control-M was our first uh, uh, product, software product, enterprise software product. And actually, in the world, there are maybe 15,000 or 20,000 organizations, like banks and airlines, insurance companies, and uh, military organizations that have very different activities software activities and business activities. Let's speak, for example, about a bank. The bank has its mortgage and its foreign currency, and you can take cash in every ATM machine, everywhere, but at least once every day, or maybe once every hour, depend. Uh, the organization wants to streamline whatever is done. And, and, and in a small bank like Bank Lumi in Israel, you need to streamline at night like 5,000 jobs, maybe 10,000. Maybe if you go to Credit Suisse in Zurich, it is 70,000 jobs. Then if you go to AT&T, it is half a million jobs. So, so you need something which will be a robot that will do the job. Everything is related to everything. There is something to be done one after another. Uh, at the end of the week, it's different. At the end of the month, it's different. In the end of the year, it's different. So we built a software robot that can do it better than any team. And actually, one of the statements we said to the organization, you can fire everybody that is disturbing our, our, our robot to work. And one of the stories was that uh, there were riots in Los Angeles, and some people left the, the mainframe machine, and they came the other day, and it was ready. So actually, we were in, in the business of automation. And the first product that did it was Control-M. And since 86 or 87 till today, that's the best 
product in the world that is doing that. And we had uh, like four or five competitors which were very good, but not as, as good. Later, we developed complementary technology that was related to uh, reporting, uh, file transfer, whatever is needed in the operation. So we had a, a lot of a kind of a platform that uh, you need such a platform to operate a big business. It's in between the operating system and the application. So middleware. As it does. It's the middleware of the middleware because it's under the application. It's above the hardware and the and the operating system, but it's it's the basis because if you write an application and you want it to write to uh, to run every half an hour, or in certain uh, conditions, the controller will do the job. Right, right. How did uh, the company enter and expand in the U.S. and then in Europe? Uh, and what lessons did you learn from those experiences? At that time, we were dreamers, but not crazy. So we understood that we don't have money to build our sales force. So in Bull and Babbage, Bull and Babbage uh, sold us, as a matter of fact, it's Bull and Babbage Europe, because Bull and Babbage was an American company, but the American company in the, in, in the rest of the world never got distribution rights for our stuff. So Bull and Babbage Europe sold us in Europe, Western Europe, as a matter of fact. In, in, uh, in America, we've got another uh, distributor. So the other distributor, which was operational from Irvine, California, worked for us five years, and he was not happy enough, and we were not happy enough. So there was some kind of... Uh, problem between us and on 91, actually we came to a conclusion and to an agreement that we will buy uh, most of his people that was, were related to our technology and the offices of him in six different locations. And, and in 91, uh, we did it. We, had, we were rich enough to make this move and uh, it was a critical move because a uh, year and a half later, we made our IPO in uh, NASDAQ and uh, we need to prove in between that we are a real force and a real force as a global uh, player, you need to be by your own in the United States. So could you, uh, that's a, again a perfect segue to my next question, which is what were the factors that led to the company uh, going public? Uh, and what obstacles did you encounter and how did you do, deal with them? We were successful be before going public and uh, we gained experience during the trip. We, we, never, uh, we never knew what does it mean to be public. But we felt that all our competitors are playing in NASDAQ. And if you want to be a global player, you, you need to follow the game. So <clears throat> I, I remember I went to a friend of mine who, who was public and said, uh, Ronnie, listen, I can't, there are pluses and minuses, but if there is a time that you can replace paper by money, it's better than to replace money by papers. So better go there. And at that time, the value of the company was already $120 million. 
uh, 2% of the company were owned already by EDS. So we felt that this is the right, uh, the right move uh, to do. After one year, the value of the company was doubled. It was like 250. After one more year, it was 35. So there were also troubles that once you are public, every know, everyone knows that you are in trouble. Yes. In fact, that's what I wanted to, again, ask you about. Well, that following the IPO, Fourth Dimension experienced extraordinary growth. Yeah. Uh, in less than three years, the company grew sixfold. Yeah. Uh, now, what drove this gro- growth, and what challenges did that create? Well, we, 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 we learned how to be public for the good and bad uh, parts, and uh, it went uh, good at the beginning, maybe too good. So we thought that it's a multiplication. If we will double the workforce, we will double the revenue, and it didn't work. So we actually, we needed to rebuild the company from, from scratch again. But luckily, we had the money to fail for a year. Because, because uh, with, with no money in the bank, maybe it was much harder or impossible to rebuild the company. So there was one year that was kind of a catastrophe, but we were rich enough to, to sustain. And since then, everything was, uh, again, organized in a very good way. What, what led to that uh, sharp fall in business? And also, I believe there was the filing of a class action lawsuit. And how did you deal with that challenge? Actually, it happened all together. And... and uh, we were not uh, ready to, to the fact that our revenue will not grow as we planned. And, and actually, after that, I said to my colleagues, listen, we don't have to make revolution. The technology is well accepted. Even, even in the bad year, the, the, the sales were better than the year before. The, the, the bad management was the fact that the expenditures were extremely high. So I told my colleagues, listen, if we will have like 20 or 25 better sales and only 25 less expenditures, everything will be again in the right place. And this is more or less what what happened. I mean, the technology was good along the process and uh, there were no severe problem with uh, customers because in a way, any customer, any customer that you, you gain, in a way, is trapped with your technology. It's not easy to, to leave the technology. And also, I think that the technology and the company are, are stronger than the business cycles. And I think that even if bad scenarios uh, some other people will get part of the business, but the, the, the technology will be strong to, to overcome the, the problems. And the, the, the conflict that followed also led to the firing of the, the CEO uh, from the U.S., uh, your, your partner, Benny, with whom you had started uh, uh, Fort Dimension. Uh, after that point, how did you rebuild the operations again? As a matter of fact, uh, the, the question of the 
or the problem with my partner was the fact that I took it more seriously. And he thought that we can continue with the same uh, concept. But once he was out and we hired another CEO, I was in the interim period at the CEO, uh, everything was uh, as before because uh, we continued to develop new products. Uh, as a matter of fact, any clients that have got like three products from New Dimension, uh, it was relatively easy for us to convince him to buy additional product because it was the same look and feel, same concepts, same support. So, so it wasn't as, as difficult once we agreed ab about a new business plan that was a little bit more conservative. How did uh, New Dimension come to be acquired by BMC Software? This is a very funny story because Bullen Babbage, Bullen Babbage Europe, which were our distributor, they distributed us from 87 to 91. Then there was a new agreement from 91 to 94. And, and, and actually, in 94, my partner wanted us to terminate the agreement. And at the same time, I felt that we have more problems in the US. So at least in Europe, we need to, to keep the situation as is. But in a long uh, story, we terminate the agreement. There were some bad clauses in the old agreement and we built a new agreement, so they stayed our distributor. In 97, it was, again, a question of new agreement. But at the same time, they sold us heavily. I mean, all that period, they sold stuff of New Dimension software more than they sold their mother American uh, company. So there was always tension a little bit between us and Bullen Babbage Europe, a little bit between us and Bullen Babbage in America. And there was also tension between Bullen Babbage in America and Bullen Babbage in Europe. So when we, when we signed the agreement in 97, everything was almost agreed. Then the CEO of Bullen Babbage in Sunnyvale said, listen, they are so important for us. So what will happen if somebody will purchase New Dimension? I said, okay, what will happen? If it will happen uh, at the year 2000, we'll have no agreement, so you don't have a problem. If, if it will happen now, we don't have an agreement, so there is no problem. Maybe if it will happen in between, you have a problem and you, are, you have the right to be compensated. So we built some kind of a parabola. So if it's now zero, next year uh, one million, after two years maybe 10 millions, after uh, one more year maybe two million. So there was a kind of a parabola of compensation, agreed, pre-agreed compensation from New Dimension to Bullen Babbage in case that somebody will purchase us. Then I asked him, listen, Mr. Newton, but what will happen if somebody will 
purchase you. So we were, in a way, good friends. And he said immediately, you know, same story. <laughs> same story, same parabola, same numbers. Yeah. So you there was a you mean address symmetric, symmetric yeah. uh, definition. Then BMC didn't approach us. They approached them. So there was a press release. There is an agreement, not a definitive agreement, between BMC Software and Bull and Babbage about purchasing uh, Bull and Babbage. So yeah, after and, and you week, actually heard about this from your Japanese... Uh, yes, I have heard it <laughs> in an informal way from the Japanese friend. But after two days, it was public. Yes. So we were waiting, let's say, one more week to be polite. And we sent them a letter. Listen, maybe you remember. Uh, we need to get a check. Or if you want to talk, let's talk. So at the end, <coughs> BMC purchased... Bull and Babbage and purchase New Dimension at the right uh, at, the, at the same time actually. That's that's great. Uh, today you leave uh, you lead Inav High Tech Assets, uh, which invests in high tech startups. Yes. What kind of companies and technologies uh, are you investing in today? Most of them are, are software. Any examples? Yes, we, we have a company by the name of Vinotion uh, VNT that knows to go to a bank and uh, map their application, business application, uh, software packages, uh, hardware, because, you know, in a bank uh, or any big organizations, uh, after a while, they don't know exactly what is done where and why. And once they want to, to, to correct or change something in one business application, they can make arm to a different business application that they never knew, or sometimes they knew, but now they don't know that they are connected. So this is uh, one example we know to map the business applications. Another thing I know to do regarding uh, software is uh, to build a kind of a simulator that like a game simulator of children, uh, we can navigate to see the city or the road. And the idea is to assemble or to combine whatever is in Philadelphia. And if there is a, an architect or a transportation engineer that is planning with AutoCAD or Bentley an, a new project, we know to, to put in, in place like the, the one that is designed today is already executed and you can drive the, 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 drive the car and see whether there are safety problems. Or if you want to, to, to oppose a new initiative in the, in, the, in the city, at least you will understand to what you are opposing because many times people are opposing something that they don't understand whether it is really disturb them or not. So we know to, to combine. So these are two typical things I, I do today. Something uh, which is a little bit more strange is something with, uh, it's the only thing maybe I do with uh, hardware. Uh, we found out that in Israel and in California, I'm sure in Pennsylvania, 25 or 30% of the children don't eat the yolk of the egg. Mm for strange reasons. Mm. And, and uh, 
I can say that I know to mix the yolk and the white part of the egg in the shell without touching the, the shell. And you can have a hard boiled egg, which is uh, almost, uh, almost white. The child can eat it uh, without noticing that he is eating the yolk. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm trying to make uh, a business case out of it, either by uh, selling uh, such eggs in the supermarket or by selling home appliances can, that can do the magic. Well, that's fantastic. Uh, I have a few sort of final questions about leadership. Uh, during your career, what is the biggest leadership challenge you faced? And how did you deal with it? And what did you learn from it? I can't say uh, what is the biggest, uh, because, for example, once you are experiencing a, a failure, still you need to convince everybody that uh, we will survive. So, so it's a matter of behavior or, or, or sometimes uh, convincing people uh, that the future will be rosy. Uh, but you need to take, uh, you need to take uh, steps to prove them. For example, in this case, uh, I, I promised everybody, I mean, we, we contracted everybody that their options will never die. Even if they will not leave me now, if they, if they will leave me after two years, and there will be an exit, as we did actually, after five years, the options we leave. So we, you need to, to, to have uh, your behavior, but your contacts as well. Also, if I told you before about the, the new contact in 97 with, with uh, Bullen Bebbage, I had to go to my board and convince my friends that uh, the probability that they will purchase is bigger than the probability that I'll be purchased first. Right. Because they said, listen, you are promising them $10 million. How, how, how do you dare? I said, listen, this is the instinct. I, 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 believe me, I don't know. But I feel that, first of all, this is the way to, to sign a new a distribution agreement. But believe me, that my instinct is that they will be purchased before us. Uh, based on your experience, what are the challenges of working with a business partner? And how should you choose a partner so that the partnership is productive and does not become a source of stress and conflict? I can't, uh, I can't be naive and say that it's easy because, uh, you know, even if you uh, know what is happening with the divorce in marriage, you know that, you know, love is not permanent, is temporarily right. So even if you find the right talents, the right partners that will be assembled to you as an orchestra, like let's say two or three, because I think that maybe one is not enough and four is too big. So if you are, you are two or three uh, partners, I can assure you that some of them will be different in four years. Some of them will be different in five or six or seven or eight years. If there will be a big failure, it's not so important. 
but it's also important. If it will be a big success, it's very important, but there is no way to ensure for the long term that people will be in love or in good business relations for the next 20 years. So I, I don't have, I don't have a, a, a formula how, how to do that. Uh, you have to believe that, you know, you selected the right wife, you selected the right partners, and it will, it will work. And, you, and, and it's, not, it's not easy, not in uh, family life and not in uh, business life. But you have to work it out. And uh, I can say that uh, I was uh, lucky in a way that uh, it happened to me in a very late stage in my business career because up to then, uh, most of our agreements were very, very simple or, or very not American. I mean, it was like a informal, informal uh, handshaking. And, and if it happened to you too, too, too early in your career, maybe you start to be more formal and uh, to, to spend too much money with lawyers. Uh, I don't know. What are the main lessons from your entrepreneurial journey that could benefit other entrepreneurs? And what advice would you give them? I think that uh, the best thing I can tell people is that if they will be looking for the perfect idea, for the gap of technology, and will be afraid to make mistakes, uh, they will be never there. In certain moment, you have to decide to jump to the water. And if you find that you made a mistake, not in the general scene, but in make a correction very, very fast and very quickly. Don't hesitate to make corrections, but at the same time, don't hesitate to start, because if you will be hesitating, it will be, you will be 55 before you started, and then you will have uh, three adult uh, children and one young, uh, young uh, grandson, uh, it's too late. Maybe the age is, after finishing Wharton School, four, five, 10 more years, 12 more years, not, not think too much, jump and do. One last question. Uh, how do you define success? Well, this is uh, something which is also dynamic. When I was a child or even a youngster, if somebody became a millionaire, let's say one million, two million, it was definitely a huge success. I, I don't want to imagine that somebody would like to define success as the success I, I experienced because it may be too much and it's kind of a dream that you can't dream about. It's like uh, you think that Federer, when he was like 16, he was thinking about beating uh, the Wimbledon uh, or, or the Roland Garros or whatever. Uh, in Israel, if you do something less than five million, people say, okay, so-so, so-so. You need to be more than five or 10 in order to be uh, regarded as a successful entrepreneur, but it's funny. The, the two thing is that maybe to, to live a good life, the, the old definition of one or two or three millions is, is, is good enough. Ronnie, thank you so much for speaking with us today. It was my pleasure. 
For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.